Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode, I'm in conversation with Tarush Agarwal, the founder and CEO at 5X. Tarush shares his experience and views related to being a software engineer and realizing that his interest lay in getting the bigger picture and getting an opportunity to work on a benchmarking application that later became the theme of analytics in a large organization and how he discovers the big picture from a lot of detailed data by zooming in and out and how data engineering acts as a bridge between business and the engineering teams we go on to talk about predictive analytics and developing applications around that is like building a skyscraper he also talks about the trigger moment when the pandemic struck that became his call to become an entrepreneur and why his company is called 5x we conclude with his tips on people considering data as a career whether at the start of one's career or as a mid career option listen on hi tarush welcome to the software people stories hey shiv um thank you so much for having me on the show i'm super excited to be here yeah thanks i guess this has been one of those conversations i've been wanting to have with a data scientist you know who has done a lot of work in this space because today everybody talks about data but then uh, typically the programmers start with algorithms and yes we do do data structures but those are more in connection with the algorithm but really dealing with data so if we can start with your origin story as to yeah. how you got into data yeah then we can take it from there uh yeah super happy to get into it you know unfortunately uh, my origin story also started with algorithms and data structure that was trained as a software engineer and i was super fortunate to get a job after college and i got to be a software engineer at salesforce.com back in 2010 and i realized super early on that software engineering wasn't my cup of tea i was way more interested in like the bigger picture and sort of working on one feature on you know sales cloud or services cloud just wasn't exciting to me it was a very classic case of being at the right place right time i had uh, some experience working with distributed systems from like college and i worked with a product manager and we built you know, one of the first versions of log shipping at salesforce which allowed us to do things like benchmarking and sort of sort of figuring out customers in your in your industry at this company size what are they doing and that later became the product analytics team at salesforce and so personally that was my introduction into data and really never looked back ever since oh wonderful but normally i mean you mentioned the big picture yeah and data is associated with the details sure so was there a change in your thinking or the mindset how do you discover the big picture from data or the other way how do you construct a big picture from a lot of data you know i think in some ways sort of data has this ability to like roll up right into really what is the bigger picture right so you know if you just kind of look at a sales sort of dashboard right it kind of starts at the very top as in what are the high level numbers 
And then the ability to zoom into a, a specific region or a specific product or a specific city or even a specific sales rep, you know, that's the sort of nature of being able to zoom in, zoom out at kind of any scope, right? And that's the really exciting thing where it, you have this ability to kind of look at a problem at like a different level, which is kind of very different from, you know, like feature set adoption or kind of designing a sort of single product or a single, a single sort of capability inside a product. Yeah, that's interesting. So how does a typical conversation between a, a data engineer and a software engineer, a developer go? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. You know, I think data engineering is the bridge between the business and the engineering team. You know, they are able to take in requirements which are largely business driven and kind of work with the software engineering team to make sure that the nature of how we collect data or you know how will we monitoring data is, is done in a way which can power the business for the most part i think data teams are fairly independent the, the interaction with the software engineering teams come from uh, areas like sort of schema design and sort of data collection in some ways the sort of data engineering team act as another round of uh, eyes on sort of those processes as a software engineering team sort of design them. I think different companies kind of do it in different ways, but you know, I love the idea of having, of not kind of building large monolith sort of products and having a lot more sort of flexibility and, you know, having a more modular approach. So, you know, I do see a, a large area for sort of collaboration, but also, you know, sort of how do we do this in a way which we are yet able to keep both parts of the business, the actual development as, as well as the actual sort of data and reporting pretty nimble so that they can move independent of each other. Oh, that's nice. You did mention uh, schema. Yeah. Okay. So the first thought that comes to my mind when you say schema is structured data. Sure. So how does data engineering handle unstructured data? You know, the, the very, very quick answer is it doesn't. What's happened especially in the last five years is that the data warehouse architecture has won right and you know all the data warehouses is a highly 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 performing sql database right like and you know with sort of snowflakes ipo last year being the largest ipo in tech history it's clear that it's no longer nice to have you know in any company's uh sort of arsenal it's, it's a it's a big requirement right what that's kind of done is that it's moved us into this way of kind of using structured data. You know, we, we have the, from a technology perspective, you have Spark and Hadoop and, you know, all of these different sort of technologies which allow us to work with unstructured data. They've all kind of become niche use cases, right? For only businesses which really have such unstructured problems that you can't translate it into a sort of relational, into a relational format. But for the most part, what companies are doing, which deal with large amounts of unstructured data is processing that data, extracting the core metrics from it in a very relational format, and then putting it inside a warehouse. And, you know, what warehouses are able to do is all of a sudden scale doesn't matter, right? Like you can easily have petabyte scale performance on a, on a modern data warehouse. As long as you can sort of derive structure from it, you're sort of good to go. These warehouses now also support JSON payloads, even though they aren't as efficient. So you can have some level of unstructuredness inside of it. But for the most part, what we're seeing out there is majority of companies' use cases have gotten pretty structured. That's interesting to know. So what about the context information with the data that you collect? Yeah, so sort of step one is really, you know, your average startup today has got 10 to 12 different sources of data, right? And that's from your backend databases, marketing, Facebook, Google, it could be your CRM, 
It could be your billing system, your sort of Zen desk for, you know, help desk. Average startup has got 10 to 12. You know, at WeWork, we were probably dealing with about 150, you know, given that we had physical as well as digital, right? Which is probably on the on, on like the larger side. So kind of step one is how do we ingest all of this data from all these hundreds of different data sources centrally into the warehouse done in an automatic manner, right? Kind of that's a huge part. And until very recently, you would have to kind of deploy a whole sort of army of engineers to build and maintain these pipelines. Once the data is in the warehouse, all of a sudden, the contextual stuff is a layer on top of it, right? So you have your raw data and it it doesn't make sense to kind of build reporting based on raw data. Number one, raw data can change. And number two is if you add any application logic on top of it, and you keep doing that for every data set, now you have a massive fan out problem. Right? And you decide to change your definition of a daily active user, you have to go change it in 50 different places. Right, so We build this contextual layer called the business layer on top of the raw data. This business layer has got these sort of golden data sets, which are then used to kind of build on top of. So for the most part, even you know your analysts and data scientists don't even use the raw data. They're only dealing with one level on top of that, which is highly contextualized. And as the data engineering team is building these core models, they're the ones figuring out with the business team, hey, what is that business context? And going back and making sure, is the data we're collecting it, is it designed in a way that we're going to have that right context? And if not, how do we go back to the engineering teams and fix this problem? And, you know, so once you do an iteration or two, as I said earlier, the data engineering teams becomes part of the core sort of design to make sure that when we're, when we're designing it from day one, mm-hmm. we are doing it in a way which we'll have all the contextual knowledge we'll need, which we'll need later on. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So that triggers one more question. Yeah. So this is yeah, this is good for, I assume, data that is already there. Yep. But when one talks about prediction, how useful is this or how can how much can you anticipate what additional data that you might need? Yeah. I mean, are you talking about like predictions from an ML perspective or are you talking about predictions from like a capacity or infrastructure perspective? How much more, you know, how how much bigger is this going to get? Uh, both. I was more intending the first one from an application yeah. usage perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it turns out today that 90% of time data sort of scientists spend is like on making sure they have clean data and making sure they kind of have access to sort of to the right data, right? Think of it in some ways like building a skyscraper, right? Like in, in some ways, machine learning and the prediction, you know, predictive analytics and all is like the skyscraper on top. And people are planning for like building a skyscraper on top before really, you know, having even dug up the earth in the foundation. There's so many layers which kind of happen between that, right? And it's even at a company like Salesforce, right? at WeWork, right? Like most recently, we only really got into data science, you know, we, we probably got into it in like year two out of my four year stint. But by the time it really was effective, was really year four. When we had really understood what our core data models were, what is all the data which we need to have? When like metrics weren't changing every three months, if your metrics are changing every three months, you can't expect to kind of build you know, something on top of it, right? So, you know, it takes a certain level of like maturity from not just infrastructure, but from a modeling perspective, from understanding what core requirements are from the business and then being able to sort of design something and then having the right feedback loop to ensure that it's actually moving on track with the business. So, you know, happy to kind of jump into the data science part of it, but, you know, the sort of short answer of what you ask is how do you know you, you are collecting the, the, the sort of right amount of data for data science? is you don't until you see that in the last six months, 
you know, your, your business has kind of stabilized and it hasn't asked for a ton of other new inputs and new sort of sources. And, you know, once you find some sort of stability, now is the right time to start getting into a lot more of the data science stuff. Yeah, that's useful. Instead of churning the ocean, take baby steps, stabilize, and then build. I like the analogy of the building. Yeah. yeah. So what was the uh, the trigger moment from being techie, working in corporates to 5X? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, you know, I wish it was more to do with sort of careful planning and a five-year vision plan. In reality, I, I always kind of wanted to build my own business. So that was always there. It just kind of became increasingly difficult with going up the corporate ladder and having, you know, sort of anticipating an IPO, which in this case didn't sort of didn't happen. At least it didn't happen when I was there. But I ended up in a brief role uh, at WeWork to go to to sort to go to like China to focus on the on like the China business. And in China, you have you need to be on your own cloud. You can't you know there's no Amazon, there's no sort of Snowflake, there's none of that stuff. You you know you you sort of need to set up your own infrastructure and you know how you do reporting has got government requirements. But at the same time, they you know they encourage you to do more stuff, which which was super re- sort of research on like how do you do facial detection and using that to open doors and you know, being able to do like sort of sentiment analysis and a lot of cool stuff, which is purely research-based. It's a huge opportunity as well as huge sort of challenge. So kind of did that for a, a little bit. And what happened is WeWork's IPO sort of started to fail. And we knew that a lot of this research stuff is something when we're in the long term, we're no longer sort of going to focus on. And around that time, I happened to go on a 10-day vacation to, to sort of Bali. And that turned out to be day one of COVID. And the border shut so sort of super quickly. I never even got to say bye or pack up my apartment. And um, it just uh, felt like the right time to leave. And, um, you know, I quit. I, I did a long transition, took a, a few months of sabbatical. And ultimately, um, you know, it just, I think life just put me at a point where it was time to get entrepreneurial. And, um, you know, after a failed venture around the wellness space, we sort of stumbled into 5X. Why 5X? As a name, five <laughs> x fundamentally is this concept of like exponential value, right? Like, uh, there's a guy I used to follow, a motivational speaker, sort of super famous author. His name's Robin Sharma. He wrote the Monk Who Sold His Ferrari and the Five AM Club. And um, I, I used to go for his seminars. Uh, he used to have this seminar called the Personal Mastery Academy. And one of the things he kept saying, which which really stuck with me, was you know make it five x or the you know there's no sort of, there's no standard worth uh, aspiring to in life unless it's BIW, best in world. And uh, a few of those sort of things really sort of really stuck with me. And I just decided, you know, the first version we called, we sort of called it 5X data. And then very quickly, once we got some traction, we're like, no, we don't, we don't want data in the name. We're just going to go 5X. Interesting. So how was this personal transition for you from being, an employee to an entrepreneur? You know, it felt like the most unfamiliar, familiar feeling where in some ways, I think it's again, impossible to look, sort of look at the dots, not to quote Steve Jobs or anything, but back even at Salesforce, right? Trying to figure out problems which weren't really done, like from a technical perspective, how do you kind of go do some of this stuff which hasn't really been done? You know, feels more like being able to solve like engineering problems on a day-to-day perspective. You know, the whole nature of being a startup is you're trying to do something which hasn't been done before. And then, you know, even kind of at WeWork, being able to scale up teams extremely quickly, right? I remember we, 
you know, we grew the data team from from like one to a hundred in maybe three years or three and a half years. Very, very different when you're sort of doing it on somebody else's sort of somebody else's dollar as as having more ownership in it. But it still feels to date like a very sort of unfamiliar, familiar feeling or a very sort of a very familiar, unfamiliar feeling to how it works. Yeah. Another way of asking the question of my curiosity is um, usually you say that whether it is engineering or particularly data science, when you deal with numbers, yeah, there are no emotions attached to numbers, right? Yeah. But when you're working with people, whether it's yeah. your own team, your customers, your investors and all that is all about you know, working with people. Yeah. So how do you balance the two? Or are there two different tarushes or you wear a different hat? Now how do you kind of move across the two zones, so to say? I mean, for me, even back then, there was no emotion attached to the numbers, but there was always emotion attached to the people, whether it was being an engineer on the team or even, you know, being the leader of a team. It was ultimately the first, you know, first three, four or five people. It's the, it's a it's a founder run vision and execution. But you sort of realize very quickly, if you want to build anything that scales, that it's all about the people. And I think one of the things we do, you know, we, we sort of really focus on is, you know, our people and what we're doing around the people who are at 5X, uh, the people we work with. So on the tech side, it's something which, you know, we know how to do, right? This is our background. This is our expertise. I think that the, the, the sort of real sort of secret sauce and what we're doing is the, emo- is the emotion and the people which, you know, we work with and how we work with them. Mm, very nice. So with this now going on the, in the people side. Yeah. Um, see, this software always been, I mean, this podcast I've been saying is about uh, people who create or consume yeah. these IT-based solutions. For the people who consume, say, database solutions, yeah. what are your tips so that they can demand more from data? Because some of them may not be familiar with the potential of what they could do. That's a great question. From a data perspective, the modern data stack has got multiple layers, right? You have data collection, you have ingestion, storage, data modeling, reporting. Then if you want to get into like AV testing or reverse ETL or data catalog, data mesh, you have all of these different layers. And each of them today, the space is extremely fragmented. So Snowflake was the largest IPO in tech history. It does one layer, which is data storage. What about reporting? What about sort of modeling? What about ingesting the data, right? So each of them today have a billion dollar player. So, you know, unfortunately, what that means for a company is that if you're getting started or even if you're, you know, have something legacy, you have to go sign five, 10 different sort of enterprise contracts and then deploy an army of engineers to like stitch this together. At WeWork and Salesforce, we had on each of these sort of platform teams, we had like, 10, 20, 30 people on them. And that's not going to be possible for like 90% of companies, right? So in some ways, the, the sort of problem set we're focused on is how do we give you this, this sort of platform on day one? It's all stitched together using the best in class providers. You can pick your own and it gets stitched together and you get one monthly bill. You don't need to deploy an army of engineers and you're kind of productive out of the box, right? So in some ways, mm. you know, Amazon and Google they might have a few pieces, but they're not really competitive inside the data landscape, right? Like mm-hmm. Snowflake is by de facto the best warehouse in the world and DBT is the best modeling company and Fivetran does ingestion. And guess what? None of these tools are either owned by Google or Amazon. So in some ways, you know, we're tra- we're, tra- we're taking the, the sort of modern data stack, which if you just Google like Matt Turk, State of Data 2021, you'll see 500 vendors there. 
And we're kind of, you know, in some ways building a store or a platform where, you, where you'll be able to pick and choose which ones and they'll all kind of spin up together. You don't have to worry about billing and you don't have to worry about having a data platform team. You're good to go so you can focus on getting the business value. You know, I think what in response to what do you kind of want from vendors, the short answer is you, today people want, even though using a different analogy, even though, you know, you can use Google apps and you can get meet and hangout and messaging and email, we still like using Zoom for video and we like using Slack for messaging and email on Google, even though you get everything out of the box. But people want to use the best in class vendor for one thing. And we're seeing that across the data space and we're seeing that all across the software engineering world too. What do people, what are people going to need is out of the box sort of integrations with all of these tools. And that's really what we're focused on. That's what half of what we're focused on. Nice. So as a user or a prospective user, yeah, what should I know about data in general to include it as part of my strategy? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. You know, I think the number one thing to know is that if in the next five years you don't focus on it, it might be very difficult to sort of compete with your competition and sort of let me get into it a little bit, right? Ten years ago, Google came and told you that if you don't do digital marketing, you, you're not going to exist. If you don't have online branding and care about what your customers are saying, you're not going to exist. And it happened to be very true, right? If you can't Google a company today, it probably doesn't exist, right? In the next 10 years, businesses are going to need to focus on what's the go-to-market strategy? Where are the customers coming from? Sort of holistically, how are they using their product? What are your different segments? What's your customer lifetime value? What is your best customer segment? Which marketing campaign is giving you more of that one customer segment? How do you optimize your internal sales operations? You know, how do you automate your financial dashboards? You know, decrease burden in your business. Who are your best sales reps? For each sales rep, what type of sort of company should they sell to? How do you optimize supply chain? Right? These are the core types of use cases which businesses are going to need to get very, 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 very good because we're no longer living in a world where it's enough to know, where it's enough to know something. You need to know how. Right. And, we, you know, it's one level further when you think about, you know, it's no it's no longer to use my product. It's how I'm going to do the same product, which a lot of other people are going to do in a way where I'm making more revenue, which is go to market, attracting more customers, making sure I keep that revenue, decreasing churn engagement and then optimizing internal operations to sort of reduce my own burn. Right. So, you know, these are the core things that data is going to help with. And, you know, if, if you're getting into it or thinking what's the value it's going to add to my business, it's around these three things. It'll change depending on which vertical you're in and your company's size. But whether you're, you know, a B2B business or you are, you know, a B2C business, you know, one can be in the manufacturing space and one can be in SaaS. These three pillars of my go-to-market strategy, how are my customers using my product and how, how do I optimize internal operations? These three are not going to change. You, you just might have different metrics across each of these three. Wonderful. So we spoke about uh, the core technology. We spoke about the value for, say, the other developers, for the users. Yeah. Now, there is one question, one of my favorite questions to conclude these conversations is uh, more about your career tips. Two segments of people. Sure. One, those who are considering a career in IT, how would they get into any of the data science related areas? And two, those who face probably a mid-career crisis saying that, okay, I've been a techie, I've been a developer, tester, architect, whatever, should I explore something in the data sciences area? 
Yeah, totally. That's a great question. I get this question a lot. And what attracted me to this career was that the playbook wasn't already written. And I had, you know, a course of engineering background. And it was very exciting to, in some ways, be part of writing a, a, a bit of this playbook. If anyone's getting into these fields today, this sort of playbook is starting to be written. It's a very different point. And at that point, you know, the, the advice I would have is get very familiar with the playbook. You know, there's a hashtag called the modern data stack. You can go, you can find it all over Twitter and LinkedIn. See who the top sort of contributors in this sort of space and what are the, you know, what are they talking about it and get very familiar, you know, from the core side, how companies, you know, ingest data, model it, structure it, clean it, report on top of it. What is reverse ETL? You know, what sort of data mesh going to be with like metadata, data catalog, what are all the vendors in the space, how they sort of different. Kind of getting pretty familiar with that playbook, which you can find. There are so many people who are actually writing about this. And, you know, once you're familiar, that's when you're at a point sort of getting into that space is having sort of doing your homework at this point is it's as important as, you know, being a software engineer and just sort of showing up to a company without knowing what the modern sort of stack which, which the companies were building on. It's, it's the same level of, you know, you sort of need to be prepared. And I guess you know, your sort of second question was as an engineer, as an architect, as, you know, one of these roles, if you're, you know, having a midlife crisis and looking for is sort of data the right way to go? My short answer would be it's starting to get more specialized, um, but it still works on very core software engineering backgrounds, right? There are enough companies now which are trying to add the software engineering components into how data is structured and built and modeled from, from like testing and from like GitHub and version control and all of these things. So, you know, there's a whole layer around of like very, very smart software engineering folks, which are around the data space and the data space in some ways becoming a sort of vertical um, and you have these really smart and talented engineers who are building for this one vertical, which is the data space. And, you know, I love roles like that because, you know, this, this sort of hybrid, right? And, and you sort of get into, it, it allows you to kind of reinvent yourself and kind of focus on not only your core technical background, but understand a new industry and, you know, sort of realize the value add you can provide over there. Like one of my favorite analogies is I lived in San Francisco for a long time. And in some ways, that was the most boring period of my life because everywhere I went, I was one of a hundred people with a similar background, very, very homogeneous. And, mo and moving to Bali was really exciting because all of a sudden I was one of the few people over there with a technical background. And we had, you know, we had coaches and we had, you know, surfers and we had, you know, entrepreneurs and like dancers and, you know, we had folks in fashion and people from many, many different walks of life. Being part of an environment where there's more diversity was something which I, I sort of really appreciated. Yeah, that's reassuring that there is scope and there is still variety and it is not one exclusive of the other. Yeah, you know, I think for folks looking for a midlife sort of crisis, adding more diversity in terms of different roles where your backgrounds can really shine. Um, is likely, I think, in my opinion, just makes life more exciting. So on that note, Tarush, uh, I think we have come to the end of this conversation. But uh, I think there are a few more questions. I'll probably reach out to you later on, on this exciting space. Yeah, thank you once again for uh, making the time and sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was sort of such a pleasure chatting and looking forward to like sort of continuing the conversation whenever.
We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.